There's a convoluted story to that. It's about really. It's actually about linguistics. It's that. It's the oh, Germans oh, discovery of what they call Indo-European languages. Oh, I'm it. Yeah. Whenever you're ready, we're, we just oh, have a politician waiting for us to call first ever. But okay, you guys okay. keep bullshitting. All right, right, all right, all right, all right. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. Tonight is a very special night. We have our first ever real-life, breathing human politician daring to come on this podcast. The man is insane. He's insane. And we love him. We do. Let's go. So, Jeet, we also need to hold the phone up, right? That's how he's he's actually hearing us through the yeah, thing. Yeah, it can't be on speaker. Let's do that this week. He's email me the thing I need to buy. Yeah, okay. It has to exist, right? Yeah, I sent you two emails. <laughs> 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 Todd, did you hear that? Perfect. <laughs> Todd knows all about that. That's like been that's, emailing you for months. That's like that's like my life. That's like my life at work is like uh, I did. Okay, well, can you three's a charm? Yeah. <laughs> These are twenty-four dollars a box. No, no, I got five boxes. Oh, Here. I, yes. you know, I, no one ever. You know what yes. happened? Girl Scout cookies. I used to be fucking obsessed with, and this is the first time I would say in like six years, someone came up to me and was like. Do you want to buy Girl Scout cookies? And I was like, fuck yes, dude. That's what we were eating I last week. Five. I already went through that box of Samoans last yeah, week. Yeah, crushed them. Oh, it was so good. I was like, oh my God, Girl good. Scout cookies. Yeah. This is exciting. I'm excited. Oh my God. I'm very this excited. This is huge. This is, you know, it's unprecedented for no politics. At the I can't table. believe a politician would risk <laughs> their political future coming on this. Well, this is, this is a reckless man um, on a mission. You know, what this I read could about be, him. Yeah, totally. This could be like a, we could turn to the podcast that like make a, it makes or breaks a politician. <laughs> like if you can, if you can uh, come out of there, the people no like politics you, bump. You yeah. win. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> or, or fall into oblivion. Yeah. Right? <laughs> There's no middle, yeah, middle yeah, ground yeah, here. Yeah. One or the other. All right. Should we call Scott? Let's do it. We're going to end this guy's career. Imagine like we're, we're actually secret Trump lovers. <laughs> so we just start luring politicians on and we destroy them. Shit, I fucked up. Hello? Scott, hold on one sec. We're having uh, technical difficulties. Hello? Scott. Can you hear me? We are up and running. That is totally Amit's fault. Yeah, right. <laughs> we can hear you loud and clear. Sorry for the uh, the little mis- mishap back yeah. there. No worries. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, I just want to let you know before we, before you have a decision. This is like blue pill, red pill from the Matrix. You are our first real life politician to ever be on wow. our podcast. So this is your chance to hang up and pretend <laughs> you can't hear us. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a legitimate thing to do. <laughs> Um, okay, so before we get maybe, started, maybe just in the middle of it, I'll just cut off, and that'll be it. Right? Yeah, totally. Right? right. We, we, we just we just lost the connection. We'd yeah. be honored. We'd be honored. Hang <laughs> <laughs> up on us, Frank Paul. Um, Scott, before we get started, uh, I just want to let you introduce yourself to um, our couple listeners, <laughs> and uh, then we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, my, my name is Scott Drury. I'm an Illinois state representative uh, representing a, the northern part of Illinois, the suburbs of the Chicago area. All right. 
Um, well, first of all, thanks so much for coming on. And we, we hope you actually do stay on. Um, Scott, I had a few questions for you. Uh, first thing, why? So you this is your third term, right? In uh, you've just been elected for your third term. Why did you go from, I guess, effectively from sort of law enforcement to lawmaking, right? That what you were you were a U.S. attorney for a while, right? Um, I was an assistant U.S. attorney. Assistant U.S. attorney, and and so what what drove you to be, get into sort of formal politics? You know, in large part, it was my work as an assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, I don't know if, if all of your listeners where they're at, but in Illinois, we, we have a, a little problem with, with public corruption. Mm. And when I was at the U.S. attorney's office, I, I worked on public corruption cases, uh, some on the state level and at, at the local levels, and would interview people and, and just hear stories about, you know, the state of Illinois and, and how corrupt it was and why it was corrupt. And just got to thinking that, you know, maybe uh, a different way to solve the corruption problem isn't just to prosecute people after they commit the crime, but maybe it should be to try to change government from the inside. So I, I ran for office with the thought that, you know, I would be an honest one, and let's see if I could make the change that I know the public so desperately wanted and wants. Okay. All right. Um, so getting into some of the things you've done, um, so it seems like, from what I've read, and, and of course, whenever you 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 look up somebody uh, through Google, uh, what comes up is the most controversial stuff uh, first. Uh, so let, let's let's uh, talk about the elephant in the room, which is Michael Madigan. Um, yep. The uh, so if if you don't mind, could you say a few words about the the sort of kerfuffle that you've had with him and and who is he? When what what is his role in Illinois politics? Um, and how you have you know found yourself on the uh, on, on the outs with him, and then perhaps the feelings mutual. I'm not sure, but go ahead. Sure. So uh, uh, Mike Madigan is, is the speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives. Uh, he's unique uh, in the fact that he's been an elected official, an elected state representative since 1970, and now has the, uh, uh, I guess, good fortune for him of being the longest-serving Speaker of the House in United States history. Uh, he's, wow. uh, I believe, going on, going on his 35th year uh, as Speaker of the House. Uh, this year, going into my third term, the first vote we always take uh, as elected representatives is who is going to be the Speaker of the House. Uh, and before this year, for the last 30 years, uh, no one has ever not voted for, no Democrat has ever not voted for Mike Madigan to be the Speaker of the House. Um, I changed that this year. Uh, he was the only one running on the Democratic side. So I chose to, to vote presence instead of yes, which uh, put me, like I said, as the first Democrat in 30 years to, to not support him. And the reason for that, it's not so much just about him, but the state of Illinois is a total mess right now, uh, no matter how you look at the state. Uh, from a fiscal standpoint, from a public policy standpoint, we are just a mess. And, you know, I've likened it to sometimes when a team is doing poorly, sometimes you need to change the manager. And so that led to, to my vote. Uh, which has then led to some consequences that, that I have faced. But uh, I'll let you guys jump in with any questions you have okay. before I talk. For so I long. read that you didn't get a clock. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we're sending You're, you a clock. It was supposed to be customary, right? Everybody gets an engraved clock and you didn't get one of those. Um, well, it was, it was, the whole thing about that was just bizarre because that, that's never happened before. 
for, right? So I'm, I'm on the house floor, you know, we're in public and there's these Tiffany-like bags and, and everybody's getting <laughs> these nice bags. And, and I'm like, what, what is it? So it was my turn to go up. We were actually picking our offices and I get up there and I get to the end of the, the, end of the line and there's all these bags and, and, and no one gives me one. <laughs> oh, and so man. it was, you know, no big deal. I, I really, at that time, I, I didn't know what it was. And then later on, I came back to my office a week later, and, and I was talking with my assistant, and he said, where's your clock? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He oh. goes, well, where's the clock? I'm like, I'm like, I have no idea. He goes, everybody, the speaker gave everybody a clock. And I said, is that what was in those bags? And he said, yeah. And so he, he ran and, and showed me one. And the most ironic thing about the clock was it didn't say, you know, thank you for voting for me or, or thank you for, for you know, representing Illinois and being a good public servant. It was, you know, Michael Madigan, the longest serving speaker in United States history, was what was engraved on the clock that he gave to everybody else. Amazing. So yeah, wow. it was the first You went <laughs> from you went from public service wrong. back to high school in <laughs> one night. <laughs> and you're on the like you're on like the bad side of high yeah, school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call that third grade when you invite everybody to the birthday party except the one kid. <laughs> that's totally. that's kind of the approach. <laughs> That's terrible. Right. Wow. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was bizarre. And it's funny because I tell my kids, they're like, you don't understand what it's like in a lunchroom. Dad's like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> I didn't get a clock, damn it. <laughs> well, we'll send you a or clock. Or a committee appointment. Yeah. Um, so have there been actual, like, beyond the sort of um, symbolic uh, slights and things like that, have, have there been actual political consequences that you felt from... Uh, voting present? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, the clock is, is more symbolic. Like, who really cares? But uh, when you're in your third term, it's customary that you become the chair of, of a committee, which is a big deal. You can become the chair of a judiciary committee, of a revenue committee, of a finance committee, whatever it is. I am the only third-term Democrat uh, who does not have a chairmanship. Wow. And it, it's not just the chairmanship, but the chairs uh, in, in Illinois, they actually make an extra $10,500 for oh. being a chair of a committee. So it's, it's not that I'm, I'm dying for the money, but you know, people want the chairmanships because there's a benefit to it. So sure. This year, not only did I lose my vice chairmanship, but they kicked me off the Judiciary Criminal Committee altogether. Wow. Wow. This is a mafioso stuff going on here. I don't like this at all. This is crazy. So, you know, and, and well, and you know, the, the big thing is, is right. You know, it, by doing this to me, what it's showing the message isn't to me. The message is to everyone else. Right? right? Don't do this. Uh, if you do this, you'll you'll lose money. If you do this, you'll lose your 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 prestige. If you do this, you'll you'll be an outcast. So don't do it. And and that's that's what's going on here. So the state's been the state's been a mess. This guy's been uh, the 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 speaker since the seventies, which to me is like the sports analogy is perfect. When a team sucks since the seventies, you fire the management. You gotta go. It's time to move. He's been elected since the seventies. I think he's been the speaker since nineteen eighty. I just wanted to. Well, yeah, understood, understood. Regardless, we're done with, we don't like them because here's what happens. We, we are, you know, the Democratic Party itself is just in a, is, is, is on life support. And part of why it's on life support is because these, and I'm just going to say it, these old politicians that are out of touch with the youth and the base of the party, which you could see by the, the last primaries and our last election where we lost to Donald Trump because the Democratic Party didn't show up. There is no enthusiasm. So, you know, for what it's worth, my uh, advice is keep going because 
we need more people that are just going to fight back and like challenge these people that are just cozy on their fucking chairs, man. It's just brutal. Well, Scott, I would imagine the counter that, you know, that that there must be some sort of rationale that people at least tell themselves that, oh, we have to vote for Michael Madigan. Um that given uh, the situation that the Democratic Party, both at the state level and national level, is on the back foot, therefore they have to show um, unity and there should be uh, at least a modicum of party discipline, even for you know optics. Um, is that an argument that you see as having any force? Um, or, or is it really just a cover for machine politics? I think it, it's... It's more machine politics, but but in Illinois specifically, the the reason that I think most people continuously continuously vote for the same person, despite you know behind the scenes saying, "Boy, I can't believe I have to vote for him," and this is the toughest vote I have to take, and my constituents don't want me to do this, is it's it's total fear. It, it's total fear of you know what will happen if if I if I don't vote for him, and you know and and that's that's what drives it is is that people. People are scared of doing that, not realizing that if you band together and there's enough people that you could actually make a real change. I mean, you know, like I said, I just I voted present. And what gets lost in, in the discussion is that in doing that, I represented my constituents. There, there's no right. question in my mind that a vast majority of my constituents agreed with that decision. And there's no question in my mind that a vast majority of a lot of people's constituents agree with that decision. Mm-hmm. But they disregard that, and it, it's partly machine politics. There, there's some argument that I don't think it's, it's a really valid one here because it, it's just not what's going on. That we have to show democratic unity. Right. Uh, I, it really has to do with I want to be a chair. I mean, I had a colleague call me before the vote and say, "Hey, what are you going to do? You know, for the speaker vote?" And I said, "I don't know. I'm thinking about it. What are you going to do?" And she said, "Well, I need the ten thousand dollars, so I'm going to vote for him." And that has nothing to do with policy. It has nothing to do with good government. And, you know, frankly, me not being on certain committees. You know, I'm not saying I'm the best person for Judiciary Criminal Committee, but certainly my background fits that. And to kick me off the committee out of spite, how does that help the state of Illinois? You know, it it doesn't. And I've seen a lot of my legislation get held up in committee. Again, not because it's bad legislation. It's ethics legislation that would actually clean up Illinois. But the message is sent, you won't move legislation. You, we'll try to make you look ineffective. And what I found is more powerful than, than all these punishments is just to be very public about everything that's happening. And what's been amazing is, is that the public is, is, is siding with me, and it ends up putting more pressure on everybody else who you know, starts feeling bad that they've just gone along with the status quo. You know, you were talking about the young Democrats and, and the younger people. The thing that that I think saddens me the most is there are a lot of young representatives here uh, and a lot of people who say they're progressive, but they quickly just get sucked into the machine. Right. And, and then they become, you know, I call them like fake progressives or fake independents or fake reformers where they go out and they tell everybody, Oh, I'm this, you know, I'm, I'm a reformer. I'm, I'm a progressive, but they're only doing what they're allowed to do. And they're only, you know, carrying out orders that they're given by someone who's been there for, for longer than I've been alive. Right. Wow. So, so would you say that that there is not really so much an ideological difference, but rather it's a sort of, I mean, what you seem to be describing is a sort of a Machiavellianism. It's just about the sort of retention of power. Um, but 
is it the case that at least and speaking just for Illinois here that the established leadership has a different ideological vision for where the Democratic Party should go versus say somebody like you or your potential allies I, I think that the the ideological vision if, if that's the right word here is winning and, and what I mean about winning is, is keeping the General Assembly uh, at least the House of Representatives Democratic and and there's not I don't I don't really have an issue with that but here the goal is to keep you know, Speaker Madigan, the Speaker of the House. Mm. And where that creates a problem is, is that you lose your democratic ideology. Right. So in 20, when, in 2013, when I was first elected, Illinois has, has a big pension problem. And obviously, pensions uh, are, are a big part of, of union politics. And unions and Democrats go hand in hand. But when I was elected, uh, the pulse of Illinois was we needed pension reform. So Democrats did pension reform because that was going to get us votes to win in 2014. Uh, 2014 came around, and we had a new governor, a Republican governor, for the first time in 12 years. And now we had to change gears and and be in favor of unions again because that was going to get us elected. 2016's rolled around, and you're seeing this progressive wave uh, with the Bernie Sanders effect, and you're now starting to see a lot of progressive legislation. And not because of ideology, because it's just totally pragmatic. And at the end of that, like no one can have any certainty of, of what our party really stands right. for. Right. There's no foundation. Because at that point, you've spoke, spoken out of all sides of your right. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. like that's what's the, what yeah. the problem is, is that whatever way the wind's blowing is right. where all the politicians go. Right. And so pension reform is just code for rolling back pensions. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. It, 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 what it's code for is, you know, 50, 50 years of mishandling pensions and now right. saying, oh my God, what are we going to do because there's no way to really pay it back? Right. Uh, you know, Illinois, we owe, I think our, our pension debt is $130 billion. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that number, it's almost like talking about Social Security, right? It just becomes a, a, a non-real number until you start realizing that to pay just the juice on that debt, you can't provide services to people. And, and that is, it, it's a big problem. So, you know, we, we try and we try, but this, this is a mess that was created by Democrats and Republicans, and it's, it's just hard, hard to work our, our way out of it. But, you know, my, my biggest concern uh, as a Democrat, or one of my biggest concerns, is, is that with this, you know, ideology of winning or this ideology of just saying whatever's convenient at the time, is that we also just assume that some of our core constituencies, like young people, 18 to 25-year-olds, will just always be Democrats. And, and I think that, that that's not accurate, uh, just because we're taking them for granted. I, I know a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, you know, younger people who said, I'm not going to vote for Hillary for president. You know, they probably, they probably regret that decision now, but it shows that they weren't just all in for Democrats. They were all in for Bernie. And when they found out or saw in WikiLeaks mm -hmm. what was going on with Bernie, they set the election out. Right. And if we don't really wake up, we're going to find ourselves, you know, with without the bases that we thought just were always going to be with us. One of the things that we talked about right after the election was that, you know, our basic diagnosis is that people have to feel like they're voting for something, not just against something. Um, and Especially so I, progressives. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, that that, you know, there's there's got to be some sort of heart in it. Uh, otherwise, you know. Otherwise, it's I think a lot of it, even if, you know, a lot of I think a lot of Bernie people did vote for Hillary, but a lot also just just sat it out. 
you know, because they don't right. know that they're you know voting for. What are they voting for? They're not quite sure. So, so this is this seems endemic, you know, not just on the national level. Does, does this go all the way down to the local level? I mean, you're working at the state level. This seems, you know, like a virus that's 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 all over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the you know, when someone has been in control of something for that long, right? I mean, we're talking thirty, forty years now. That person is going to have people at all levels of government. Uh, so, you know, city councils. The, the local democratic organizations, they're all going to have ties to, to Speaker Madigan. Uh, and, and again, when you get back to what I was saying about fear, when someone has that many tentacles, it, it, it can scare you, right? Because I can get kicked out of the party or, you know, the, one of the biggest fears is right, I will run someone in a primary against you, right? right? You, if you do this, you will face a, a democratic primary. Now, I, you know, four years ago, I decided I'm not taking money from the party anymore, and I'm not taking money directly from Madigan. Not because I don't like the party, and not because I didn't like him. I always say it's like I don't take money from my parents anymore. Still love them, but it's not their house, their rules. So you know, I think I, I'm in a position better than than my colleagues to to withstand that sort of challenge. But when you have kind of he's gotten you elected, he's given you all of his people to to be your ground troops when during campaigns. You look around and say, well, if I go against them, I have no chance of survival. And and so you're completely dependent on him, and and so you have to go along with with everything he says and does. But there's got to be some people in Illinois that um, can help. I mean, there's got to be a base of 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 support that you can tap into, or at least create that are sick of the the same old politicians, the the career uh, sitting chairs and and i mean i think for for a guy like you and maybe you know i don't want to speak for you but i feel like this is the time uh for for a politician like yourself to thrive in a climate where people are like ready to get rid of some of these old folks i i think that's right and it's been amazing to me the amount of encouragement outside of springfield the capital of illinois outside of springfield where you know all the politicians are the amount of support I'm now getting from all over the state, just letters from, from people all over the state, just saying thank you, people cutting out articles with, you know, that I'm in and, and just writing thank you. I was at a basketball game, a wrestling match, a tournament for my son, and this has never happened to me ever. Someone turns and says, are you Scott Drury? <laughs> and I said, yeah. She, she's like, the Scott Drury I'm reading about in the paper right here? And I said, yes, I am. She's like, will you autograph my paper? Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, this is just, you know, so bizarre. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 pe- the people are out there. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. We're, we have a, a gubernatorial race coming up in, in 2018, and people are starting to gear up for who's going to run. And is as vilified as, as my colleagues are making, you're starting to see people base their campaigns on this anti-Madigan thing, even wow. though they've you know, totally supported him or they're puppets of his. Uh, you know, they're they're just saying, "Oh, I'm anti this" because you know they're trying to be popular. And so people started talking to me. Well, you know, you've actually done this. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And then I, you know, I saw I, I found it intriguing going from just a state rep from from a northern suburb of Chicago to you know voting present to people saying hey do, do you think that you could you know run for higher office i mean it's actually been you know quite a ride in the last you know it's been like 60 days 
So I'm glad you brought up Chicago um, because I wanted to, there's one issue that I wanted to talk to you about. So as we know from President Trump, the Bears. Yeah, well, not the Bears, but <laughs> the Bears quarterback we situation. We don't, talk about, we don't talk about the Bears. Yeah, yeah. that's like the yeah. one thing that's you, you'd ask me about it, but we don't talk about the Bears. <laughs> One bad comment about the Bears and you're toast. No, it's just there's nothing to talk about it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it used to be like that, but now it's not. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got rid of Cutler, which is great news. Great news. I, I, I hope so. Yeah, if you, we keep talking about the Bears, I am going to hang up. <laughs> all right, fine. We'll get, we'll get rid of the Bears. All right, all right. Uh, so, so as we know from President Trump... Um, all black people in America live in the south side of Chicago and shoot each other each weekend. Uh, so I was wondering um, if you have any sort of legislation to address the issue of gun violence uh, in Chicago, which, uh, all joking aside, is is a problem, right? So uh, huge problem. Yeah. So I don't. I- I don't think there is any one piece of legislation that can stop gun violence. That's actually the problem with with politics, is that everybody says, oh, what bill can we pass that will stop gun violence in the city of Chicago? You know, the reality is, is there's there's gun violence in the city of Chicago for a multitude of reasons. You know, people uh, don't have a, a lot of options, and they join gangs, because that, that seems to be the best option for them. We don't have enough uh, resources and, and places for people to go after school and do things we, we don't have enough of a community uh, we certainly don't you know always have enough police on the street but any one one thing doesn't stop the gun violence you, you need everything you know when i was at the u.s attorney's office we were very effective uh in working with the, the city of chicago and their police force and bringing over you know the most violent offenders to the federal side and, and giving them longer sentences and reducing gun violence but it was a concerted effort there was money going into the communities, there were police going into the communities, and we said, we're going to try to stop this. Uh, and then that worked, and then all of a sudden, you know, people switched gears and started focusing on other things. So I actually get really disappointed when people say, oh, just, just make mandatory minimum three years to four years, and that will stop gun violence. Right. No, it won't. What it will do is make, make some legislators feel good that they've done something, uh, and then ignore the fact that people are still getting shot and killed you know, on the weekends here, you know, you, you have you're about 10 to 15 shootings and three to four deaths, and there's little kids and babies being shot and killed. I mean, it, it's tragic. And the, the, the fact is that people just don't want to make the tough decisions because a lot of it requires spending money. It, it's not just about passing a law. It takes spending money and, and getting invested in these neighborhoods and these people. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of the, the things that get pressed, right, so particularly for Chicago, um, school reform, um, and gun violence, there's, as you kind of put it, there's sort of deep social origins to both of the sort of issues that are, arise around those. Um, and it would require, you know, all hands on deck and all aspects of society basically to address this. So basically, here's the big question is that it seems like the issue is poverty and lack of options. Um, so how then do you address that uh, without being tarred as a socialist or a communist um, by your opponents by, you know, approaching sort of, you know, perhaps, you know, redistribution. Yeah, I, I think where a good place to start is with education, right? If, if someone doesn't have an education, and we already provide public education, so that's not changing anything. If, if you don't educate somebody, they're, they're not going to end up in, in most circumstances a, a 
productive part of society because they, they just can't function in society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we as a state, not just in Chicago, but, you know, Illinois is a, a, a huge state just geographically, you know, downstate, our southern parts, we, we don't fund our schools properly. And and so you're you're, you're missing out on the opportunity of, of producing productive people. The, the problem is, again, you know, when you have $160 billion, $150 billion pension debt, we haven't had a budget here in two and a half years because there's a standoff between the Republican governor and the Speaker of the House, and they just decided, well, it's easier just not to have a budget and fight than to actually fund anything. You know, how do you, how do you pay for those services? And, and, and I say, you know, you need change. I, I've proposed ways to get budgets. Um, you know, I, I think everyone here agrees that there needs to be some additional revenue coming into the state of Illinois. And, you know, we, we need to be brave and we need to, to do the things that aren't going to necessarily get us reelected, but that are going to get us results. And, and I found that every time I do something that's, I don't want to say controversial, but, get, but against the norm, but it's the right thing to do, uh, people are like, oh, you're not going to get reelected. That's going to ruin your career. It's actually made things a lot better for me. And I think people just have to get comfortable with the fact that when you do the right thing, the public actually notices and rewards you for it. So overcoming fear seems to be the theme of the night. Yeah, isn't that scary? Yeah. Right? Like, I, I mean, it's like this is a democracy and all we're talking about is fear. Yeah. I mean, fear, 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 fear is fear, effective. Yeah, fear, fear works. I mean, like the, the, the health care bill that's about to pass is... Trump is using a very public fear tactic and telling the couple Republican senators that have a brain that if you don't vote for me, we're coming after you. I mean, this guy is going to ruin you. So I can't even imagine what you're dealing with behind closed doors. This is uh, our president who's uh, literally threatening people over the media, which is crazy. Right. But you know what? What what you're seeing is actually what used to go on behind closed doors. Right. In a lot of ways, uh, it's actually... I think kind of like I don't like, like like the tactics and the tweets and all that, but people are are starting to see publicly how sausage is made. Yeah, and it's not it's not based on policy. It's not based on what is the best thing for the people of the United States or the best thing for the people of Illinois. It's based on what one person who has the most power can do to you. And if you're scared of that, then you cave. Uh, and and that's just you know I, I like I say a lot of things we've been talking about Illinois. I don't know that they're completely unique to Illinois. I think right. the Illinois are magnified, but yeah, I, I think these issues go on in the federal government, they go on out east, they go on out west, and they go on in the south. Pettiness and fear. So it's basically like... You're, people, adding, pe- you're adding something pe- to pe- the theme pe- of the night? Yeah, I mean, like, no, but I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's basically if you can thrive in like seventh or eighth grade, when you're, it's like you'll do really well. <laughs> by the way, by the way, eighth grade is when I peaked. I was awesome. I was like this right. height. There you go. It was like when I was good at basketball there because no one else was really good yet. Right. Like, this, that was my year. Right. Right. Well, right. look, yeah, you were the tallest and the strongest. Uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> well, Scott, uh, it is refreshing to see somebody from this party that we identify with, I guess, uh, that's kind of fighting back a bit. And, um, you know, we're still waiting to see uh, who's on deck to take on the current administration. And, um, you know, we're we're optimistic, but still searching yes um and it's good to know that there's somebody in illinois that is um not afraid to fighting the good fight yeah to to challenge your own party and uh in a time where you feel weird challenging your own party because we should all be fighting trump i think it's really important to to make sure we stay in line because uh our party's on life support and without people uh challenging it we will be gone 
I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I've actually been been saying that in, in public meetings that you know I'm I'm not a supporter of the Tea Party. I'm not a proponent of the Tea Party. But what did they do? Right. They didn't attack. They didn't attack Democrats. No. They looked at their own party and they said, "We're not happy with our party, uh, and we want it to change." Now, as Democrats, we could say, "Well, what they wanted was horrible, and this and that." But they they would say, "Look at the results we've got." Right. You know, in terms of taking over states and taking over Congress, and now we have the presidency. You know, I think it's okay to disagree sometimes, uh, and if if there's a basis for it, you know, you don't you don't want to just do it to do it. But the Democratic Party right now, I think, has some real issues, and I think it's totally okay for people to express that that issue and, and try to fix it. Otherwise, like I said, I'm concerned that we're actually losing people by just trying to pretend that we're all getting along. Exactly. Perfect. Well, listen, man, uh, thanks for coming on and uh, risking your political career. <laughs> thanks for not hanging show. up. <laughs> uh, thanks for not hanging up. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Democratic Party and the Chicago Bears all uh, start slowly becoming strong again and uniting because we would love that. That would be something. That'd be something. <laughs> that would be something. Um, we'll be rooting for you, and if you need me to make a sleazy uh, takedown ad, uh, I'm great at that, so uh, you can always call me, and I would love to do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. This has been great. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. All right. Take care. Bye. Well, he was awesome. He was Scott. great. He was great. I'm rooting for him. I'm Me gonna, too. I'm going to follow him now. Me too. Yeah. Um, no, he's really smart. He's got a great background. Uh, We're going to start I, building I a like, roster. I like. I, I. That's why I asked that first question about going from law enforcement to lawmaking. Yeah. You know, because it's kind of two sides of the yeah. coin. But um, I think it's a very good background because you see, because people in law enforcement see the ugliness of society. Right, they yeah. see everything. Totally. Right, and then and then they're now he's being asked to like craft laws to like address all these issues. So I think it's it's uh, I think he's you know, and he's bold. Totally, he's, he's willing to take on the machine. So that's that's awesome. That's what we need, that's dude. Awesome, we need right? people to stop. Nobody that no one that's the uh, speaker since nineteen seventy or eighty, whatever the fuck, who cares? Yeah. Like that thirty five years. So that, that makes place you, what, is like, a 80, disaster. 80, uh, it's time for you to go. Like yeah. you're not you are not the answer. That's just a dude retired on the job uh, who's got power, taking fucking money. Think about... Not giving clocks to people. The engraving on the clock was about him. Totally. (laughs) It's like like a bad movie. That is insanity, actually. That's that's actually... That's a little bit kind of somebody should have intervened and said, hey, maybe we should say something about... It would be amazing. You got to wonder if he paid for it or taxpayer dollars paid for it. See, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a, a Madigan pack that 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 ponied up money Gross. for that. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of. Uh, did you ever see Friday Night Lights? Yes. He's like he's got like a buddy Garrity who's like okay, uh, right. supporting him. You know he's got some guy who's yeah. just buying his yeah. clocks. Boosters. He's got yeah, a booster. He's got the boosters. <laughs> yeah. Dirty football. The Madigan booster. boosters. <laughs> I'm over Madigan. Never even heard of him, but I can't stand yeah, him. Yeah. Honestly, I can't stand people like that. I would have given him a clock. I know. I know. Here's the deal. It's common courtesy. A your real third boss, term, you get a clock. 
No, I don't even care about that. But a real boss would give you, like, if you watch The Godfather, right? You get, you, he's the first guy that would have got a clock. Right. Exactly. I want to say, come here, Scott. You right. said a lot of bad stuff he about he, me. He would have been taken out clock. to dinner and gotten the clock. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steak right. dinner. Thank you for challenging me. And then right. I would have been going, That's get very, rid of him. Very brave. <laughs> now let's call Luca Brazzi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's so stupid because he's off his game. Like when the Godfather got shot, picking oranges up. Right. He's just off his game. Time to go. Yep. I like Scott. Yep. Scott is, is the first politician on the no politics at the dinner table list of okay politicians. Yes. yes. We're going to start building this roster. Right. And Check the, mark. The time the, the midterms come around, we're going to have people we're going to tell you you need to vote for. Yep. If you want Amit and my policy to reign supreme in this world. Obviously you do. No Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by the lovely Jeep Baderoy. Like that one? I like that addition. He is lovely. That was awesome. Yeah. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're taking a week off, just so you know. Well, we don't, we don't have to tell them. You know. We don't owe them shit. Hey, listen, let's, let's announce it. A week off. We're allowed to take a week off. It's okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Not like any of you guys ever like write us emails or questions or anything like that. Pe- people do respond when they're, true. when they're like, wait, why are you guys off? You know? By the way, if you look at all the guests we've had, we're building a nice little army of like powerful people that are like really, uh, they're involved. I mean, there's heated our, debates. Our guests. Follow all of our debates on Facebook, by the really way. really amazing things, actually. It's hysterical. They're like. They're battling. In all, in all their ways, they're actually, you've never heard of them, yeah. but they're all amazing. And they're actually <laughs> they're actually building little armies. Yeah. I'm watching it happen. Yeah. We'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.